0: Welcome, everyone, to the Book and Film Globe podcast, hosted by me, Neil Pollock, the amazing spider editor, chasing passive voice across multiple universes, trying to eradicate it, never quite succeeding. I am back from my vacation across the southwest of the United States of America. I saw many natural wonders and now I am back to viewing the unnatural wonders of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. We have a great show for you this week based on articles that ran on book and film globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. I'm going to talk to film critic, Stephen Garrett about Spider-Man across the spider verse, the new animated spectacular that is in theaters now. Also critic Sarah Stewart has an incendiary and Great take on the new Disney live action Little Mermaid adaptation that is also in theaters now. And I'm going to talk to Omar Gayaga about I Think You Should Leave with Kim Robinson, an absolutely essential sketch comedy show that is airing on Netflix season three, debuted very recently, and you should definitely check it out. But first, Stephen Garrett will be here to talk about Spider-Man again. Across the Spider-Verse, Stephen and I will go after this. Musical interlude.
1: My name is Miles Morales. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider Man. And things are going great. Oh, yeah. You were supposed to be here. fine All right, whatever. Whatever? Wow.
2: Whatever?
0: So, are
1: you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. <laughs> That's
3: not funny. Don't, don't do that.
0: Stephen Garrett, or should I say, Stephon Garret, is back from the Cannes Film Festival, where he spent... Spidey
1: Stephen. I'm Spidey Stephen now. Spider,
0: Spider Stephen, our, our uh, super-powered film critic, is here to review our movie of the week, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is in theaters now and is... It's full the theater, I saw it last night as we we're talking at the Alamo Draft House, and it was just full of gape-mouthed uh, men. <laughs> middle-aged or push slack jawed
1: mouth breathers Slack jawed awesome. mouth
0: breathers shoving chicken wings into their mouth while walking <laughs> incredible multi-dimensional feats of athleticism. Um and uh the spider-verse is here. You know, I, I was looking back at uh the archives, and one of the first reviews you wrote after I took over Book and Film Globe was for the first uh, Spider-Verse movie, Into the Spider-Verse, which won the Oscar for Best Animated Picture, which is kind of a surprise. Although anyone who saw it wasn't, yeah. wasn't going to be that surprised because that movie was incredibly innovative in terms of storytelling and visuals, and it just it really kind of broke the mold for what an animated superhero movie could be. And Across the Spider-Verse, definitely... Uh, remakes the mold and then breaks it again <laughs> right
1: i mean it is that is it is a something broke i think my brain broke watching it well all. for sure I mean, in a good way but also it's broken for
0: sure so. it, but it is a sumptuous visual feast you know the color palette oh. is constantly shifting and there's the action and the, the lines and the art is it, it's gorgeous to look at i mean there's no there's no question about it and you know there's not a lot of uh wasted art direction in this thing,
1: Mm-mm.
0: you know? And so that was really, no, cool. it's, that was, it's that was really cool. Um, and you know, if you love Spider-Man, if, if you just think that Spider-Man is Peter Parker bitten by a radioactive spider who then fights Dr. Octopus or whatever, boy, are you in for a surprise because, <laughs> because apparently there is a spider car. There is a spider Tyrannosaurus Rex. There's a spider horse, there's a spider baby, there are uh, Latino vampire Spider-Men. <laughs> you know, there, a, you know, there are, there are uh, female Spider-Women who are pregnant and drive a motorcycle. <laughs> it's just like, okay.
1: It's, you know, Nothing- it's pretty funny because, uh, you know, Sony famously, uh, Columbia and Sony famously have the rights to Spider-Man and uh, i always thought oh well, that's too bad they're missing out on all the fun because uh all the other characters are owned by disney and now i see a movie like this and i'm like they don't need the other characters they can they can just create their own variation of spider person man woman whatever and then have their well, fun right? well
0: what's ridiculous is that almost all these variations that they're featuring including peter porker the incredible spider pig um, they all just have appeared in Marvel Comics at one time or another, including that spider dinosaur that that, that I referenced. They're, the Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara, the vampire Spider-Man, had his own series. You know, Miles Morales, who was the main character of the show, is kind of a Dominican teen from Brooklyn, black Dominican teen from Brooklyn. He's been...
1: Not Dominican. He's Puerto Rican. He's not Dominican. I thought, he said, right? I thought
0: he said it was Dominican.
1: No, I think there's a line where he's like, well, that guy definitely... Oh it looks Dominican. Right. Oh, that's his mom's from Puerto Rico. His mom's
0: Puerto Rican. Yeah. His dad is black. Anyway, he's been canon yeah. for a long time. Look, it's you just have to just kind of embrace the absurdity of it all. And the you know, the multiverse concept that that Marvel has decided to, to um make its everything is well on display here. And apparently Spider-Man or spider, the, whatever the spider is in any universe is the linchpin to preserving the entire fabric of time and space and reality, which is, it seems seems a bit of a stretch to me. Uh, give it, yeah. But we're, we're obviously living on one of the Earths with, without an actual Spider-Man. You know, and there's a lot of clever conceits, right? Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who created this movie, um, made the Lego movie, and there's a Lego Spider-Man. Reality, <laughs> one of the universes
1: is Lego, <laughs> right? I mean, it's great. It's it, like thank God they're involved because they add a, a real daffiness and a sense of kind of you know what the hell is this uh, playfulness to the whole thing, which makes it really palatable. There's a wink, you know, there, and, and there's, there's a wink, there's, but almost- there's feelings, right? There's genuine emotions and connections, but. It also is kind of like don't take this too seriously. This is silly,
0: right? Well, I was I was gonna say I feel like there's too much genuine emotion and connection. Like I, you know, the, for this is 140 minutes long, okay, and that's too long. It's at least 20 yeah. minutes too long, if not if not 27 200. minutes too long. And I felt like you know there the first hour nothing really happened. Well, there was this 20 minute um, pre uh. sequence which was yeah. good. But it, it basically like setting up the story of Gwen Stacy, the spider woman uh, character, the sort of, as, as sort of the main character of the movie, really. And, and you didn't even get to Miles Morales until 20 minutes. 20 minutes in, I was shocked when the opening credits said, I'm like, we haven't had the opening credits yet? A 20-minute prologue? Yeah. I mean, it was a whole issue of a comic book, essentially, before we could even get to the main story. And I just felt like the movie stopped too many times for, like, long emotional speeches and then occasional bits of exposition that would just weren't nearly as enjoyable as the action and also just the gags, right? Like, really, what you want from this movie is action because it's Spider-Man. You want it? And, and gags. And there is plenty. There are plenty of action. And there's plenty of gags. But there's also lots of, like, heartfelt conversations with parents. Ugh.
1: <laughs> but I think, isn't that the heart and soul of, um, uh, of Spider-Man? Like I, I always felt like his movies have some, some genuine pathos. Uh, his story does cause he's a teenager. He's awkward. He can't fit in. Um, he's got this tortured relationship with, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's got his aunt May. Um, you know, there are these uh, traumatic events that happen in his family basically. And then, you know, he can never get the girl uh, to work out, whether it's Mary Jane Watson or uh, Gwen uh, what, Stacy. But that's,
0: that, that's Peter Parker. I mean, here you have literally a spider horse. Hmm. You know, you have right. You have ironic macho Spider-Man. You know, there's so many different variations of it. So to me, it just doesn't I, – I just felt like there was too much of it. There was too much I, – I, I don't care. I didn't care about – so-and-so's thing with the uncle or the, the the uncle who wasn't the uncle or the dad who was
1: the cop and the cop was the, cop cop and the, and the, cop was the dad
0: that, and it's just yeah. like i'm like enough already i just want to see the web slinging and the gags i i just it, it was too much the the movie's a lot right it's a lot yeah it's
1: a lot
0: it's a lot it's not bad I mean, it's, it's a lot and it's, it's not bad I mean, no, it's a lot you know It is.
1: I think I I, look. I've thrown my hands up and long given up, uh, thinking that Marvel movies are going to be streamlined and succinct, and um, you know, uh, uh, like you know, anything but bloated and full of needless exposition and Easter eggs and other references to other storylines and characters that may or may not appear, you know, as their own spinoff movie or as part of another film. I don't know. These are all jigsaw puzzle pieces.
0: Well, let's not, let's not, uh, let's not um, dance around it either. This is the first half of what is appearing to be a five hour movie about many Spider-Men. You know, I was shocked when it was like, to be continued, you're not going to wrap this shit up? Come on.
1: Nope. I have to go again. I
0: don't, I don't want to go and sit an opening night surrounded by all these like disgusting fanboys. I can't take it anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, and I mean, how long is the multiverse uh, trend gonna gonna go on? This was actually, you know, it's it's uh, it's predecessor into the Spider Verse you mentioned, 2018. That was the first time, to my, uh, my uh, memory, that we actually saw the multiverse in action Correct. as a major plot point. Correct. And then it kind of went on to the live action stuff, and we've had five years of it so far. And I guess we're in the midst of it and it's going to burn out at some point. Somebody's going to get sick of this. Maybe. I'm, I'm I don't so know. I'm
0: tired of sitting in the theater and then someone sh- blurts out, wait, what? And the whole theater <laughs>, laughs. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I, 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 I I'm, I my wife hates going to the movies with me, Stephen, because I'm, it's like, well, she didn't go last night, but she's like, it's like, it's like going anywhere with Larry David. Like I'm constantly like on vigilance for like, violations of some kind of moviegoer code. I couldn't believe it when the guy next to me ordered chicken wings and a milkshake. I was like, Oh, <laughs>
1: that's gross.
0: He was just shoveling it into his mouth. I mean, I had, oh, I, I had popcorn and I, I, I did throw some junior mints into it. Standard movie. Anyway, it was, okay, look, let, let's stop there. And just say, if you like the Spider-Man, if you like into the Spider-Verse across the Spider-Verse is going to give you, it's supersized.
1: It's supersized. Definitely, you know, hit the can before you go to the movie because two and a half hours is a long slog. Oh, uh, one you're more. Feel th- it.
0: One more thing. I want. I did want to talk before we before we split here. Um, uh, I did love my favorite part of the movie was the um the extended sequence in Mumbatton.
1: M- Moonbatten, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. The with a really groovy uh, in long-haired Indian Spider Man in sort of an that guy's bat- great and that it, it was, was hilarious how much he –
1: he was so into himself and what is it paviter prabhakar
0: yeah he was Prab- great he was so Pabakar. he was he was really he was,
1: really, <laughs> he was, was really he
0: was he was really fun he had a really, he was really cool to look at um and the, the whole sequence in that in that world which was sort of new york city but mumbai combined um, was very fun and imaginative and exciting and built character but in the context of action. And I just wish that there had been more of that in the movie and less sort of dreary, rainy night apartment monologues.
1: Uh yeah, I love you, dad. I love you, mom. You know, no, I I love, okay. you're my only daughter, you're my only son. Yeah, oh, I, my uncle's back alive, or is he, I don't know. I get it, yeah.
0: I get it, Spider-Man is tragic. But, then, but I didn't get any of that vibe off of uh, the Indian Spider-Man. He was just like, he was just like, Dashing, he was like Errol Flynn. He was
1: super dashing. Yeah, no, he was hilarious. He seemed to have figured it all out, and he didn't have any issues. Yeah, unlike exactly. the other canonical tortured uh, spider people. Yeah, so know. so
0: he, he so he was my favorite. I I I I just want some. I just want I want fun when I go to the movies, especially this kind of movie. Um, and uh, you know, it just there were moments where it was a little less fun than
1: it should have been, but you know. Yeah, it went from levity to leaden, to levity to leaden. I mean, you know, it is, those guys, Lord and Miller, it's so funny, man. They just know how to make things really sing. I mean, I, I, they constantly scratch my expectations. Like I I had zero thought that that the the Lego movie was going to be any good at all. I didn't think 21 Jump Street would be any good at all. I didn't think these Spider-Verse movies would be any good at all. Um, It's amazing, Mitchell's versus the Machines. I was like, maybe. And I see all these things, and they're absolutely delightful. I don't think yeah. any of them are perfect, because they, they are overstuffed, and they are compromised by some kind of silly emotional stuff. Uh, these guys are so much about scribbling in the margins and just creating goofy moments, you know. And they are just sublime. Yeah, a
0: lot of good when goofy, mo- lo- a lot of good goofy moments. Overstuffed like a like a bad deli sandwich, but um, still worth <laughs> worth, your, worth your time. If if you like uh, watching people swing around fictional cities on spider webs, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is in theaters now. Steven, we will talk to you very soon. See you then.
3: was drowning. I had to save
0: him. This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to
3: know more about them.
0: One of the most widely discussed and strangely controversial films of the year, both before it came out and now after it's come out, has been uh, Disney's live action remake of The Little Mermaid. We ran a review of it on Book and Film Globe, but our contributor Sarah Stewart wrote about it on a site, little site called cnn.com, which does not have nearly the traffic that Book and Film Globe does. But uh, I felt like her, but she decided to write for them instead of us. And I felt like her take uh, was worth discussing uh, today. And so Sarah is here to talk about The Little Mermaid live action remake with me. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Hello. So you you were not uh, taken... With the little mermaid, not the little mermaid live, that would probably be something that was performed at an ice rink near you, but the live-action Little mermaid, and uh, you you know, and I, have, I read your review, and unsurprisingly, your problem with the live-action Little Mermaid wasn't that the Little mermaid is now black. That's where all the controversy was before the movie came out, and since then, I, I think there, there's a, the discussion has shifted.
2: That's right. And I mean, I will say I was rooting for this to be a good adaptation um, after all of the backlash to the casting of Halle Bailey as the Little Mermaid, uh, the ridiculous notion that this fictional character couldn't be a woman of color, obviously. you know, it just had me wanting it to be a tremendous success. It had Lin-Manuel Miranda contributing some new music. It seemed like, and it had Rob Marshall, who uh, is the director of Chicago, among other things. So, you know, it had pretty good bona fides and I was uh, excited to check it out. I watched the original in preparation and was sort of remembering what a great movie that is and also how problematic in some ways. So there was room for improvements. And uh, I, I just ultimately felt like it failed on almost every
3: level.
0: Well, yeah, you know, the original Little Mermaid, I mean, those aren't these are movies from our childhood. You know, it came out in 1989 when, when you and I were already in college or, or almost in college. Um, but, you know, the, it's an important movie because it was the first of the sort of new generation of Disney animated films. It marked sort of a comeback uh, for for Disney and it you know it has a lot of classic songs in it and it just really um it captured um, the minds and hearts of a, of a new generation of kids and as you point out in your review it's also 83 minutes long you know it's very crisp it doesn't doesn't try too hard um, it just does what it does so incredibly well you know and this new version is is like almost twice the length.
2: It's it's very long. I mean I just. I really question any movie that is even partially aimed at children. I, you know, one of the questions I asked in this article is, who is this movie really for? I really question a movie aimed at children that's two hours and 15 minutes long. I just think that's a that's a pretty big ask of uh, children, and uh, was borne out by uh, the children and little children in the theater where I was watching it. Just wandering around the theater by the last third of the movie, like completely uninterested in what was going on. I also heard a, another anecdote the day after my article ran about a woman who um, took her nephew to see it and uh, had to leave 20 minutes later because the kid was so bored.
0: Yeah, that's not a good sign. You know, I mean, the uh, the template for a modern movie to take kids to is the Super Mario Brothers movie, which has made sixty five trillion dollars worldwide or whatever. And that is a very, it's very short, it's very bright, um, it's very silly, and yeah. uh, full of action. And it it doesn't it doesn't try too hard to do anything other than to uh, you know bombard children with like lots of stimulus. Now, I will say this: the original Little Mermaid isn't isn't quite like that, I mean, but it's full of songs and, like, cute fish <laughs> and crabs. And
2: it's also very pretty. I mean, it's just a its a really colorful, cool-looking movie. I mean, the animation does look very dated now when you watch it, but fundamentally, I mean, it's just really fun to watch there's not a wasted minute. And this movie is, I mean, for one thing, it's just very dark. Like, literally, it's very dark. It, it, you know, I think, for me, I think part of the problem... Probably was that there is not ideal projection going on in my small town theater, and I think that maybe it was darker than even it was intended to be. But um, I have seen complaints like this from all over, and I just think that there is a, a trend that has been going on for far too long now, where movies are um, underlit and kind of gloomy looking uh, in some sort of attempt to be serious as a as a reboot, um, maybe or to emulate what they're doing with the Marvel movies. I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, I know that Rob Marshall has said that he was trying to uh create a natural light effect, which is a bit of a heavy lift when you're doing uh when you're talking about the bottom of the ocean. Uh, like we don't yeah. really need it to be super realistic.
0: Well, so well,
2: uh, they're singing and dancing down there. So it's it's not realism.
0: It's the third underwater movie in the last year if you talk about the uh the Marvel Black Panther movie. And then, of course, Avatar: The Way of Water. Um, you know, and, you, and Avatar: The Way of Water. All the underwater scenes were really bright and vibrant. Oh and, yeah. Uh, the Marvel movie felt like I was wa- I was watching it through a mud filter or something.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, and and it sounds like this is the same way. You know, you mentioned the scene where Ursula, the sea witch, in the movie's villain, um, it grows to inc- you know the sort of the dramatic climax where she becomes a gigantic you know monster. Uh, you know, and you, then you say you say you can barely see see that in the movie, and that's you, like a, yeah, you know, a terrifying climax of of the cartoon. That's that's, that's uh, it's just ridiculous. Why would you do that?
2: Why? I mean, you have this giant marauding Melissa McCarthy looking fabulous. I think, uh, you know, but you really can barely make her out through the murk. And uh, yeah, I just question. You know, there there has been some question of like, you know, are they covering up bad CGI, which yeah, I, I can't believe is the case given the amount of money they spent on this movie. But uh, yeah, it, it just seems like a, a strange miscalculation. I I'm sure there's a rational explanation for it, but it, it's a real head scratcher for me.
0: It was yeah. very,
2: very off-putting.
0: And also you had some, uh, some complaints. I know you, you love yourself some Lin-Manuel Miranda, but you had some complaints about the new, it's hard to match the music from the original.
2: The 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 original Ashman Mencken score is just incredible. I mean it it's just full of earworms. I, I remember loving that soundtrack at the time and you know, once I heard Under the Sea again, it was immediately stuck in my head again. Um and so they've taken they've taken out one of the funniest songs from the original, which is Les Poissons, which is about the uh chef uh that Sebastian the Crab sees uh, you know, merrily butchering fish right and left. And, uh, apparently, Rob Marshall took this out because it was, quote, too cartoonish,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, which also, also a bit of a head scratcher for a Disney movie. Um, and they have inserted a, a rap number, uh, from Miranda, which is very Hamilton evocative, uh, of the Seagull, um, well, scuttle, uh, played by Aquafina, who in fact is a rapper. Uh, the, the, the number is called scuttlebutt and it is, it's terrible. I mean, it's just completely out of place. It's weird. It's not, it's not super long, but it just, is so discordant with the rest of the score. Um, and it doesn't really serve to advance the plot very much at all. And it just makes you wonder why on earth it's there other than to point and say, Hey, we got him to write a song.
0: Wow. All right. Well, um, I'm not required to see every movie that we talk about on the show and so you're just you're just driving me further and further away. Not, the thing is it's not like this movie has been a disaster it's made a lot of money internationally as well and you have um, you know you you published a very prominent and negative take on them on the film and it's not like there weren't other negative reviews but yours was you know very prominent and in a place that where people read. Uh, not not as many as Book and Film Globe, but a pe- place where people <laughs> read a lot of reviews. And you've received a lot of um, negative email about this.
2: Truly, uh, they really just came for me. I just rabid Disney fans, people saying, you know, accusing me of being a hater. You know, a few of them accusing me of being a racist for not liking uh, the, the movie with a Black Little Mermaid, which I will say, I, I do have a, a whole paragraph in there talking about uh, how Hal, Halle Bailey did a really great job, actually. I think she's doing everything she can and she acquits herself quite nicely. And I, this is not her fault by any means. Yeah. Um, but I, but it makes me a little sad to see people going to bat for what in my mind is just kind of a corporate cash grab. This just to me seems like a movie that absolutely did not need to be made, serves only to make even more money for Disney. Uh, which just insists on remaking all of its properties in live action, and very rarely with any reason to do so. I mean, I think Cruella is maybe the exception. Cruella was sort of an adaptation that was interesting and a different riff on something, and and I think paid off. But largely, I, I think Disney needs to calm down with these live action remakes.
0: Yeah, I didn't love Cruella, but it wasn't a remake of 101 Dalmatians. It was a you know an origin a villain origin story. So yeah, right. it had a it had a slight you know it expanded. The story, rather than just kind of rehashed it. And I will say this, you know, Sarah, you may be a hater sometimes, but you're definitely, <laughs> you're definitely not a racist.
3: <laughs>
2: Thank you, Neil. So, <laughs> so, yeah, amazing. yeah.
0: So, so you can um, you can rest easy uh, on that score. Um, but uh, I guess you'll you'll never rest as easy as you did before because you've now seen the live action Little Mermaid. It's true.
2: It's gonna haunt me.
0: All right, Sarah Stewart, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. One of the most anticipated TV shows of the season, well, at least for me, was the third season of I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, which to my mind is the best sketch comedy show on TV going currently. Netflix kind of dropped it in the middle of the night last week, I and mean, we knew it was coming. But you know, they they released a trailer about two days before it came out, and then it appeared. I, I'm wondering maybe if I just happen to live in a um, uh, world where Tim Robinson is important uh, to the people I know, and uh, the the peop- the world at large doesn't actually uh, isn't actually that aware of this show. But Omar Gallagher is aware of, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson is here to meet. He's here with me today to talk about it. Hello. Hey, Neil. Hello. Yeah. So you actually are the person who, uh, who hipped me to this, uh, this show. First of all, you wrote about, I think the second season for us when it came out a few years ago and I, I watched it and then I watched it again and again. And I mean, I watched, I watched, (laughs) I've watched these sketches so many times, either on Netflix or just, you know, watch it. I just, I just, I'll just go to to YouTube and I'll find clips or I'll watch memes. And, you know, and it's just this, I find the show endlessly weird and hilarious. And, you know, the third season is out now and I don't, it didn't really disappoint. I mean, I, there's still plenty, there were were plenty of belly laughs, I thought.
3: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first season just sort of took everyone by surprise. Uh, Tim Robinson was coming off of Detroiters, which was canceled by Comedy Central the great, wonderful Detroiters, which if you haven't seen, if you like, if you like the vibe of, I think you should leave. You should owe it to yourself to go back and check out Detroiters, which featured uh, him and Sam Richardson, who's also on uh, on this show. Um, just the very similar vein of, of absurdist, weird humor. Um, but yeah, when the, this first season came out, I think it took everybody by surprise. Nobody knew what to expect. It was basically Tim Robinson and and uh, some of the Lonely Island kind of crew behind the scenes. Uh, putting this together and it, just weird absurdist off the wall sketches with very interesting, different timing and, and uh different pacing than, than what we're used to on S on Saturday night live or other shows. I mean, I would argue that, that there's some sketch shows still on the air right now that are, that are, you know, just as good. I, I would say the black lady sketch show is fantastic. Uh, the new season of Amy Schumer, which I think everybody slept on was also, you know, I think she's one of the best uh, sketch, uh, sketch show people out there and, and people have kind of forgotten that, you know, with with her stand-up and her movies. Uh, but yeah, no, Tim Robinson's show is is excellent. It's it's just and it's short. It really doesn't overstay its welcome. Your We're gonna go
1: you. huh.
3: ho, woo. ho, woo. ho woo. Yeah.
0: Say you're sorry. <laughs> oh,
3: I'm so sick.
0: I tried to rip the Wright Brothers off the ceiling. Oh, I'm
1: mad at
3: you. It's great. I was there last spring. Did you go by yourself? Um, I took my kids. God damn it!
0: <laughs> the show is not, it does not really uh, exist in the real world, and yet it kind of does, but there's no you know, there's no politics. There's some pop culture parody, but they're not, they don't really exist to be pop culture parody. There's not a lot of recurring characters. In fact, I would say like Tim Robinson basically plays the same character in every sketch. I mean, he doesn't, He's not an, he's not a, you know, he's not Ken Peel, you know, he's not, a, he doesn't have a lot of range. <laughs> no. You know, he's just kind of this rubber-faced Midwestern weirdo. Um, and, you know, everything, And, and but the thing that, distinguishes the show is that it's just the, the scenarios just, they just twist and and they get really weird really fast. Like the one I'm thinking of from this season is the one where he plays, um so he's introducing this new dog door that he's invented. This guy's invented a dog door and he's just talking about this product that, you know, knows when it's your dog coming in and out of the house or when it's a, a raccoon or a burglar. And then all of a sudden there's this hideous monster that comes through the door and you're like why why is he trying to def- what is the, what is this and then it turns out that his he'd had a dispute with his next door neighbor about about uh I don't know proper about property lines and so his next door neighbor uh sent through his dog door sent a uh, pig wearing a Richard Nixon mask but he was hallucinating because he'd been up all night because he was worried because he was at a wedding with his wife and a swing dancer was flipping his wife up and down i know <laughs> you know i i know it doesn't sound funny but it just it just, it just escalates and so really it was just i you can't even say what it's about right it's just it's it's just so stupid
3: And something i've noticed about this show is that when you try to explain the sketches uh when you try to lay out what happens it's like how long is this sketch is this like a 20 minute sketch because <laughs> it they take so many weird sharp surreal turns that ordinarily on a sketch show would would require setup and scene change. No, these things just come out in conversation or just in a in a quick, uh, you know, verbal, uh, turn. And you know, and they're still tight sketches. They're still three four minutes long typically. So yeah, I, I think this season, um, settled into more of a rhythm of, of shorter, funnier. Um, cut off, you know, more abrupt cuts, uh, out of the sketches, which is, you know, what SNL typically suffers from is these sketches that just go on forever. They don't know how to end. Uh, I think you should leave has a great sense of there, end right there, right in mid sentence, right now, right here. Um, and they, they never feel like they go on too long because you, you're, they leave you with, wait, what, what just happened? Why why is it over? Um, so I think they've sort of mastered that, that quick, abrupt, end of, of sketches straight to the interstitial music. Um, that I think that's sort of a hallmark of this show. And then also the absurdist turns. Like they start with a very simple, almost boring premise. They're usually in someone many of these sketches take place in, in offices and in cubicles, uh, and then go in a whole weird different direction.
0: Yeah, every episode's got like an office sketch, a party sketch, a boring mm-hmm. party sketch. And you know that's that's about it. And then, and then maybe like a light pop culture parody, something like that. But I mean, it's it's astonishing to me how many of these take place in offices.
3: Yeah, yeah, it it, it feels that way. And then there's there's always something like a like a game show or a pageant or some sort of uh, like in this season we get we get a dating show uh, where Tim Robinson's character doesn't want to leave not because he he likes the woman uh, in the competition in this bachelorette type show, but because he wants to be on the zip line over over, over the pool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and he, the, he cries
3: because he, he doesn't want to the way.
0: Yeah, I love I love that one. I also love the sketch with um with Tim Heidecker as the Tim Robinson's heart doctor. Um, and yeah. he Tim Robinson on a heart monitor. Um, but the real reason he's doing it is because he wants to find out when Tim Robinson is going out dancing at these hip nightclubs so he can get in. Uh, that 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 was very funny. And, and his like,
3: heart rate is elevated. Yeah,
0: heart, he's, he's like, dude, dude. I I know you were at Club Aqua, and, and, and then Tim Robinson types, no, I was jerking off, and the doctor was like, for 15 minutes. And it's just like, you know, anyone who's been to the doctor knows that there's no way you would have that interaction with the doctor. So that, that, that was very funny, but again, like, I'm trying to explain it, and it doesn't sound funny, but it is. Um, and the other one, I you know, probably the, the, the home run sketch of, of the season is the one where Tim Robinson is, is on a date, um, and he has these really – weird, This really weird kind of wig on with like these long curly strands of hair that are going down his side. And, you know, he accidentally got his barber to give him a haircut that made his hair look like dog ears.
3: Yeah. Yeah, out of a picture out of a magazine, yeah. but the, the barber was looking at the wrong page. He's
0: looking at the wrong page. Cause he really wanted a haircut <laughs> like, like Brian Cranston's again, <laughs> you have to see it to get it. And then, then of course there's the egg sketch uh the, the animated egg from the office where he's feeding this egg you, you have to see <laughs> yeah,
3: it yeah it's it's strange and uh you know the, the it's i think the hallmark of the show has become boring premise and then weird crazy sharp right turn uh, and then an elevate that another step or two, and then out, you know, just quickly, quickly get out and getting get out, uh, which I think has become sort of the, the the rhythm of the show. I think one thing I noticed about this season compared to last season is, you know, there, there's been about two years between each season for such a short show. That seems like a really long time to wait, you know, for something that that's, that's in total about 90 minutes, uh, but they take their time and and that's appreciated. But I noticed last season, uh, two years ago, we were coming out of lockdown coming out of pandemic the sketches felt much sadder last season. I thought there were a few that were just almost, almost kind of storytelling character pieces that went on longer. There was the one with Bob Odenkirk in the, in the diner. There was the season ender that I think about the guy that was just trying to make friends and, and went home to his mom sad. You know, there were really melancholy sketches last time. And I think that that's different this time. I don't think we, we were seeing as much of that, but I feel like we, we were in a mood uh, when last season came out. And that I think that season reflected sort of maybe. Uh, the depression we were all feeling
0: yeah maybe and the, I, w- I would say you know it, it's just interesting there's no politics you know you don't know, there's no. no there's no sketches about joe biden or donald trump there's no there's no um sketches about uh you know tr- there is a there is a trans actor who appears in some of the sketches sometimes but mm-hmm. there's no you know you're not covering those issues you know there's you know no one's mentioning ukraine you know there's no race politics there's no class politics everyone is sort of like Middle to upper middle class, usually white and just kind of like, you know, dating or going to work or um, going to parties, you know. And so, you know, it's limited in that way, but it also is kind of refreshing just to see these uh, people, you know, in these incredibly like mundane, um, um, very American scenarios. You're You're kind of trapped in like this fast food cubicle nightmare.
3: Yeah, I, I think you mentioned earlier just, you know, who's watching this, like who, you know, it did, t- it definitely took off online. I think definitely the memes and the YouTube videos and, you know, it definitely caught a wave of, of social media and, 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 the memes, the guy from the, the Ford, uh, focus group sketch, I think from the first or second season that, that, that really took off as a meme, you know, thing. And that guy's popped up in other movies I've seen the hot, since then. The, the, the hot dog guy, the hot dog guy. No, the guy, the guy with the, the, the with the accent with no, in the I, Ford focus group.
0: Yeah, I know that. And then also oh. the one where Tim Robinson is dressed as a hot dog. Very yeah, neat.
3: yeah, Super those pop up. Movie. But I, I think among comedy nerds, among people who know a lot about sketch, like this show definitely stands out. It's definitely caught uh, caught that wave of, of people appreciating it and knowing that, it's, that there's something different about this show than other sketch shows that we've seen before. Um, and also I think um, – one thing I really appreciate about it is that as much as Tim Robinson is, is in, I think he's much more in this season than last season. It felt like he was not in a lot of sketches last season as much, but he also manages to kind of give the spotlight to other, you know, where he's the straight man and someone else is sort of the crazy person. Uh, Like Connor O'Malley, that the the very last sketch of the season is Connor O'Malley, who you've seen in a lot of stuff. Uh, Patty Harrison, who you mentioned is fan always love seeing her on this show. I mean, she was, I thought she was a standout in season two um so yeah I, I i really appreciate that that he's willing to cede the spotlight to you know sam richardson or whoever else you know to lead a sketch and it's it's yeah. not always tim robinson because that can be he can be exhausting <laughs> i yeah. know people well, who do are, not are, like this show
0: are, yeah, right. they, fred armison takes the lead in yeah, one will forte appears yes. again uh yeah and there and, and there have been some uh other like excellent uh uh there's a Vanessa Bayer sketch i believe in season 1 that was really funny. Yep. Um, so you know yeah he will you know bring in um he'll bring in ringers so to speak uh, and i would recommend that you all watch i think you should leave with Tim Robinson and then you can be the person at dinner or the party who's trying to explain the sketch <laughs> and, uh, for, about the guy with do- uh, dog dog ear hair and you can you can watch people's eyes Glaze over and go blank and, and you can feel yourself growing it 's funny like when you try to describe a sketch from the show suddenly you become a character from the show. No, no, there was a hand <laughs> there, was a, there was a hand sticking up from the ice train, and he had a super Bowl ring on don 't you get it don 't you get just it
3: send, just send the video don 't try to explain it just send them the, I found that that 's the only thing that works is just send them a couple of youtubes of of these of these sketches. Netflix has put up quite a few of them from the previous seasons. Uh, I send them the baby pageant one. I send them the Ford Focus group. Uh, I send them the, the one with Patty Harrison and the chairs that she's angry about. Uh, yeah, those three tend to tend to, put, and n- none of those are led by Tim Robinson. So
0: I... Oh, I also and the Shark Tank parody.
3: Yes, yes, yes. But I I find people have to be on that wavelength to like him. I think he can be very off putting to people that that don't get on that wavelength. So I tend to send send sketches that are like, oh, oh, well, but these other ones that he's not in, you, you might like.
0: It's a it's a. Uh... It's a, a trial balloon.
3: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right, Omar, thank you so much. I'm I'm going to uh, go watch another. Uh, I'm going to rewatch the show now. I'm just going to go do that for. He's
3: going. we take it, It's less than a Marvel movie. Less time than a Marvel movie. Less time.
0: Sure. Less time than half of a Marvel movie. Yes. <laughs> All right. Talk to you. Glad soon. you liked it. Yeah, thanks. I love. I loved it. All right. Bye bye. Bye now. All right. Thanks, Omar. I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson is now airing on Netflix. Watch it, meme it, you'll never forget it. I promise you. Also, thanks to Sarah Stewart for talking to me about the weird live action remake of The Little Mermaid, which is in theaters now. And thanks to Stephen Garrett for talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is also in theaters now in this universe and in many other universes as well. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. I will talk to you soon.
1: Original production.